0: Digital hospitality. I am your host, Sean Walchef. This is a Cali BBQ media production. Today we are recording this on June 5th, 2020. It has been a very busy week, and I'm very fortunate to have a close friend from the Bishop School in La Jolla, where we went to high school. We had a very small high school that we went to. Um, today's guest is the CEO and co-founder of DJ Two Entertainment producer Dimitri Johnson. What up, man? Welcome to the show. Yo, thank you for having me. Uh, it's it's super cool, um, you know, for me to be able to host a podcast and to do something in digital media, digital marketing, where I get to have conversations with people that I respect and admire. And then when they come from, from our own small pool of, of talented individuals at the La Jolla school, um, you know, bishops, it was crazy. It was, I was very fortunate. Um, my white privilege, my grandfather, uh, he was an immigrant from the, uh, from Bulgaria and for him, education was so important and he was able to, provide a private education in one of the most beautiful places on earth. Um, what I loved about the school was the, I wouldn't say diversity because it wasn't very diverse, but their attempt at diversity allowed and introduced me to some of my favorite people on earth. Um, one of the other people is Shane Walton, who we've also had on this podcast um, to talk about the, the incredible work that he's done um, in the charity space and what he did at Notre Dame. But I'm so, so fortunate to have you on the podcast because I love watching people pursue their dream and to do it in the long term uh, for somebody that is broken through in Hollywood in such a big way with Sonic the Hedgehog uh, producing an incredible groundbreaking film. Um, but if I take you back to the time when you and I were playing high school football for Bill Lechbold and we're going to the quad and you're coming out with with dress shoes on because you forgot your cleats and you're making jokes and coach is giving you shit. I mean, God, I, I think back and I go, God, Dimitri was – so into film. He was so into production back then. And now look at what he's done. So um, first of all, congratulations, man. I'm so proud of your success. I'm so cool to see you. And I I just love for you to, you know, kind of share your journey with our listeners, because we have people from all over the world that listen to the podcast, some of them entrepreneurs, some of them business owners, some of them running their own brand. But breaking through in Hollywood is always it, it's a Hollywood story, right? It's I mean, you, you've lived the life, but The scene behind the scene the context to the headline is really what's been compelling for me doing audio storytelling and doing this podcast is because we get to learn you know it's it's not all glamour shots it's not all oscars um tell me a little bit about dimitri back in in high school and where where this dream started
1: well first brother thank you for the kind words you know i think the uh the respect and the 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 hustle is is mutual you know i've Watch what you've built, you know, from behind the scenes. And I feel like I brag about you like a proud father up here and <laughs> everyone I know. Like, it, it's crazy, man. Like, people in like circles that I would think would never touch the Bishop Circle are all just kind of like coming together because of your restaurant. Like, it's, it's wild. <laughs> like, I'll see like random posts on Facebook, like, wait, that dude? No, Charlie, what? So, <laughs> so. Let me just say, the uh, watching the journey on my side has been equally just as fun. Like um, that, but I'll, I'll I'll kind of work up to the bishops part of it because it um, ended up being a blessing in disguise. Um, you know, with major compliments going to my mom for kind of forcing it to happen. Um, but I would say, you know, really, this this journey kind of started a long time ago you know probably when we first got you know our our first massive camcorder in the house and you know i realized that uh i could go and make my own sketches and then ultimately when i started training martial arts everything became a karate movie (laughs) we would go around and i remember just like giving like my my mom and my friend's parents just heart attacks when they would see us doing sidekicks off of roofs like getting these shots and you know it was it was at that point that you know we we must be talking 11 12 years old that I knew like it's what I wanted to do I will I will just say that at that point I wasn't sure if I wanted to be in front of the camera or behind the camera and Um, kind of a funny story a a quick one I'll share where I think it really became clear for me what I wanted to do and um, I don't know if you remember a movie back in the day called BAPS that uh, Robert Townsend directed but I had managed to uh, get casted as an extra on that show I was supposed to be I think 18 19 years old for the part I was really like 13 and halfway into the day of shooting people started looking at me and I get parted now. So you can imagine back then. <laughs> and, and I got pulled aside by one of the producers, like, How old are you again? I'm like, 19, trying to make my voice nice and deep. And they very quickly realized I wasn't. But what was cool about it was Robert Townsend actually came over and spoke to me. And I got to kind of pick his brain and really kind of understand what a director does, what a producer does. And for me, all of a sudden, it's like, Wait a minute, like, as a producer, especially, I don't have to just focus on necessarily one project at a time, but I can kind of, you know, be working on multiple projects at a time. And, you know, the idea of, you know, either something starting as an idea or something like a sonic, you know, being something that we grew up loving, you know, that's deep in world building, but not necessarily deeply rooted in narrative and and the story there. So it's like, there's an opportunity to you know, kind of create something in a world that's very familiar to a lot of people. So it was at that moment that a kind of light bulb went off for me. But I will say, though I eliminated mostly the acting part of it, the director versus producer, like that was still kind of on the on the table for me. And, um, you know, going into high school, I had some uh, some some directors, uh, stage directors who I had worked with who had become close to me who pulled some strings and actually got me accepted into the School of Performing Arts. So, all of the summer leading up to high school, I was prepping with the mindset that I was going to the School of Performing Arts and I was gonna be around my people and it was gonna all come together. (laughs) And uh, in the the umpteenth moment, my mom pulled the uh, rug from under me and basically gave me two options. She said, you can go to St. Augustine or you can go to Bishop's. And I said, well, I want to go where they have women, so let's go with bishops. <laughs> and uh, and you know, I I remember I remember being actually pretty pissed off with her the first few weeks because I actually got offered a really, really big opportunity, ironically in the acting side that would have basically taken me up to LA and on the universal lot for potentially months. And my mom shut it, my mom shut it down. She's like, You're focusing on uh, academics, that's what you're here for. And I had just accepted that it was going to be a horrible few years. And ultimately, I give Bishops a lot of credit because they took a kid who could have easily been perceived as a lunatic and really encouraged my insanity, you know, both by, you know, we when I first got there, I think it was called like a video production department, but really it was not a whole lot of doing. And, uh, and by the end, you know, I think that they really dedicated to providing resources. Like, I mean, I think by the time I got out of there, we had like Adobe Premiere five, which was like the hot <laughs> stuff at the time. And, you know, um, even like some of the insane shorts we did with you know some of our teammates, yeah, uh, that could have easily not been fully
0: appropriate for an Episcopalian. <laughs> it wasn't appropriate. I'll tell you that much. It wasn't appropriate. <laughs> it, it was hilarious, like, but I, definitely not appropriate.
1: I, I remember, I remember looking at the uh, headmaster's face while they uh, they played uh, the, the the film, and even with all the insanity, the the encouragement, you know, never stopped. Uh, I don't know if you remember this, I think it was my senior year, we decided that we were going to create a wrestling club, and our big, again, everything, and and look, everything you're doing is producing, and another close friend of mine, Tim, we always talk about this, like, every aspect of our life is really a production, you know, you're using the same tool sets, so even back then, I remember we had produced this big climax where we were all going to get up and grab chairs and out of each other and and we did and again like teachers like had not, they, looking at us like we were absolutely insane so you know even though I went in assuming that nothing on that side of my brain would be uh encouraged or supported it was quite the opposite um and I feel like you know to your point yes in a lot of ways the school was what you kind of expected but in a lot of ways it wasn't like I feel like I got to meet a lot of different people, and I would say the thing I got most was learning what was possible, what was out there. You know, you and I are both huge Charger fans. To, you know, go from being someone who grew up a diehard Charger fan to actually playing on a football team with the kid whose family owned the Chargers, it's like, oh, wait, like, you can do that? Like, that's 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 possible. possible. Those things are possible, like, so like, you know, like it, it really, so I'll, I'll just share my running joke when I, um, when I, when I'm fortunate enough, you know, when we're not under the uh, times that we are now, when I'm fortunate enough to travel and kind of talk about, you know, my story and how I got here, I joke that one day I'm going to write a book, book called Too Dumb to Fail because everything on paper should have told me to quit a long, long, long time ago. And for whatever reason, some something else in my brain kept saying to go, and um, you know, I think I think a big part of that was seeing what was possible, and I think um, you know our our school deserves a lot of credit for that. Um, so I think that was a long-winded way of uh, kind of touching on the early years, and then um, you know, I remember when I got to the point of looking at universities. I was hell-bent on wanting to go back East. Seems dumb now, but for whatever reason, I'm like, I'm going to go to New York and go to film school. And ultimately, um, it was my college advisor who suggested looking at a school that really wasn't on my radar called Chapman University. And I'm like, eh, you know, if I'm going to stay in L.A., I'll just go to USC. Everybody goes to USC. And um, I would say that was really the point where my path started um you know aside from the fact that chapman puts a camera in your hand day one um what i found was practical when I, how do i put it practical work opportunities meaning i was able to pretty quickly start getting into internships and when i talk to kids today and and especially those like myself who don't come with any connections in the business I cannot stress enough about how important internships are being the first one in being the last one out putting in the work that is 100% why I am where I am today was those you know who I worked under as an intern identify me as someone who was willing to do anything you know Get coffee, go get coffee, the best way you can get coffee. You know, whatever whatever the task was, I treated it like it was me walking the red carpet. It was the most important thing that I had to do. And I was fortunate enough to have various people over the course of years kind of watching me, um, connecting me with the, the person who could take me to the next step. And, you know, by the time I got to my last semester of uh, my senior year, I knew that I graduated on a Saturday. I knew that that Monday I was going to be in the fox lot, you know, where my internship was going to convert into an actual opportunity to make money. And um, that that wouldn't have been the case if I didn't have the access, you know, to being able to go and work for free, yeah. you know, which, uh, again, someone who didn't necessarily have, um, you know infinite amounts of cash coming in. Um, You know, that was was a sacrifice at the time, but it was a a necessary one.
0: I think that's, you know, really important. And we talk about it a lot on the podcast on, you know, on a weekly basis. And it's a theme that runs through a lot is you... You have to be willing to see what else is out there. That's the curiosity side, you know, the curiosity side of what's what's limitless. And that's something that your mom instilled in you by, you know, by getting you into the bishop school and Chapman continued on. That's what my grandfather did for me. And but it's the follow up too. it's the getting involved, you know, and getting involved. It's putting yourself in a position to succeed. I mean, you did it at 13. You already had started that where you put yourself on that lot on that set where they're asking questions and you're learning things like if I'm already talking to the director, why I can do this. You're already learning what's the difference between directing and producing, but you're also connecting the dots along the way. And the more opportunities that you put yourself in, the more that you realize I need to continue to do it. I need to keep, I need to keep finding people, talented people, people that I admire And starting to learn from them and ask questions because people that have knowledge, it seems intimidating. But then once you understand, like people like Brian Grazer, he just, you know, his his book, I just finished face to face. He has curiosity conversations with people from all different backgrounds. And he's one of the greatest producers ever, ever. And. He does that because it allows him to connect the dots and that's something that I, I mean I always find so fascinating and when you when I watch something like um, the Defiant ones with Jimmy Iveen you know somebody that's they're they're in the action but they're behind the action which is kind of what you know the the role of a producer can you tell me a little bit about the role of the producer and director and kind of you know how how do they differ and and, and which which is more compelling for you
1: yeah and I'm going to give Mom, when we're shut out, because the other, <laughs> the other, the other thing she she kind of forced me to do that ended up being maybe one of the best things ever was our compromise. If I was going to pursue a a film degree, was that I also had to do a double major in business. Now, again, like I'm not thinking in my head at that point that at one at some someday I'm going to have my own production company where I'm going to have to you know maybe dig into QuickBooks and actually like <laughs> do that that part of it. So. I will. I will say that a skill set that I assumed I would never have to use came in quite handy. And, and I'll kind of use that to segue into your question. Um, there's a lot of business involved. There's a lot of business, legal fires that have to be put out long before you get to the fun, creative part. And that that has been, you know, part of the balancing act and sometimes the struggle, you know, something like Sonic that took almost a decade, you know, to get from right. idea to screen. Wait,
0: wait, hold on a decade. Yeah. Yeah. That's low and slow at its best. Yeah. That, I, that's like a true vision. You have to have, how much persistence does it have to take for a decade?
1: Uh, I mean, we were told no a couple of times. We went through a few CEOs and yeah, I'm pretty sure I, I checked and the first email was either, End of 2010, early 2011. And, um, you know, we, I think, I think a good amount of the Sonic story has been kind of public at this point. How we've got, you know, we went from one studio to another studio, um, went through a couple of different uh, writing teams. So, you know, that's, that was a process and a lesson, you know, something that you believe in so much and having to just, keep pushing for almost a decade of your life like you know when when family and friends are kind of even like on the very very outside are kind of aware it's like hey whatever happened to that, that yeah. sonic thing <laughs> it's like for, for 10 years they're like it's coming it's happening uh, <laughs> we're working on it <laughs> yeah so so that that part was something that had to be learned is patience um i sometimes like to move faster than the industry is oftentimes designed for um but i would say the difference between a, a producer and a director and of course this isn't across the board because some directors also where they're producing hats like i have like a, a close directing friend who i just brought into one of my projects uh, a tv project who could be a brilliant producer in his own right because he's constantly keeping me honest about things that you know, have to get done. Um, But I would say the role of the producer can vary. You know, there's the producer who, you know, will act as the bank. You know, they'll bring in the money and they're mostly uh, supporting you that way. There's the creative producer who really can dig in with the writer and eventually the director to, you know, really beat up the story and get it to where it needs to be. And then there's the hybrid. And I like to believe that I kind of live in the hybrid space where I like, you know, my... I, I, I deeply enjoy the business aspect. So for me, you know, because you know my company has a specialty in working with um, you know specifically gaming rights holders to look at their IP and you know help them kind of put together a plan on how you can adapt it for film and TV. You know, for me, the first step is securing the rights. So that could be you know I see a, a little cousin or something playing a, a cool game on their Nintendo Switch. I'm like, what is that? spend a weekend with it and you're like, oh my God, like this has an incredible story. If it's someone I don't know, that could be tracking down who the rights holder is. And you know, we have partners, you know, literally all over the world. So, you know, that could be getting on a Zoom, you know, at three in the morning or, you know, five AM, depending on where they're at, and earning their trust. And I will admit, you know, fast forward, you know, over a decade later, of operating as DJ two, it's a lot easier than it was, you know, day one. So there's a lot of, um, built in trust. Is
0: that because of the credibility?
1: Yeah, there's, I mean, it's funny. The, um, the the gaming business, um, on a global scale is massive. Like it's growing faster than film and TV. Like it's going to be the biggest industry in the next couple of years, but it's also a very small industry. So it's, it's not uncommon to reach out to someone who you know by the end of the day is completely you know vetted who you are. I'll never forget uh, a couple of years ago we were talking to someone in the Ukraine who it turned out was a French national. So you know before our workday was over, they had already talked to colleagues in France and uh, French Canadians in Montreal who had given the sign off and we were able to move forward with putting an agreement together by the end of oh. the day. And you know, that's that's how small the business can be. So, you know, the first thing we like to make clear to our partners on the on the right side and eventually our partners on the studio or network side is, you know, one of the most important aspects of the entire deal for us is our relationship. We have to make sure that our partners feel protected. We have to make sure they feel like we always have their best interests first because we're a word of mouth business. At the end of the day, you know, it only takes burning you know, one partner for that to get around the entire industry. So number one, love that. I love, you know, pursuing, securing the rights. From there, it really is a fun chess game where you could win in multiple ways. You know, if it's a massive IP that everyone knows globally, you can sometimes walk that into a network in a studio and they just get it. Um, other times there could be a massive game IP that's known globally, but feels trickier. And for that, you'll want to, you know, maybe put together, you know, either a package with a writer package with a writer director, um, and then build it out that way. So another aspect of it, that's really, really fun. And all of this part of to ultimately getting to step three, which is trying to find your partner. You know, on the studio side for a film, film, uh, studio network side for TV, who will hopefully believe in you, believe in the vision, support you. And then the real grind starts of actually creating, developing and trying to get the thing made. Yeah. Um, so... All of that to get to what I used to think was producing. When I was younger, you know, I thought producing was you show up the set yeah. and you get to hang out with people that'll become your family for the next couple of months, and you go shoot stuff and make something cool and fun, and then you know isn't, you all go celebrate it.
0: Isn't that what happened? You, you went to Bishop's and you went to college, and then you met Jim Carrey, and it, you put out you put out Sonic. That's how it went down. You know uh, I think I think one day that's the way
1: the story will be told but uh, <laughs> it, it, uh, it, it turns out that uh, there's a lot more work that goes in before you get to that point and um, and I would say in the in the last few years um, a real turning point for myself and and the company was uh, when one of our our agents, our uh tv agents you know really got us to look at tv as a a a medium where you could do great storytelling because i was kind of like i'm a film guy and i'm only a film guy and he's like slow down let me just explain why there are benefits to tv one is for better or worse you pretty much know if you have a project you know within a year um if you have a project you pretty much know within the next six to 12 months if your project's going to move forward so in terms of idea to screen you can move anywhere from six months to two years depending on how that project tracks as opposed to what could be a decade so once we started looking at at storytelling through that lens it's really kind of changed the game for us and you know obviously fast forward to where streaming's at today And, you know, you have your Netflix's, your Amazon's, your Hulu's, um, you know, Universal's launching their uh, streaming service, Peacock. You have HBO Max that just launched last week. And then you have all the traditional, you know, cable outlets that we grew up with, the HBO's, the Showtime's. And it really allows you to tell stories in a way that you couldn't have in television ten years ago. So that's been an amazing kind of opportunity for us that we've really embraced as a company. Um, you know, we still love film. We still have film projects that we're developing and you know looking to get into development. But um, you know, this golden age of television has kind of been the perfect storm for us as we look at game IP. And I should make clear, like, we're not only the game to film TV company. Like, we have a novel series that we're developing. Like, we have original scripts. Like, we still do more of the traditional, um, you know, uh, TV film development as well. But, you know, taking games and treating it as source material in the same way you would treat a New York Times bestseller or anything else, you know, has definitely become our calling card. Um, Which, again, has, (laughs) you know... Ten years ago trying to convince folks that this was the future to now having studios calling you directly saying hey do you know this game company do you know this game do you think you can go secure those rights and we can produce it together it's definitely made uh you know life a little easier and uh and i'll just say you know some of the top writers directors actors they're all consuming games now You know the storytelling is catching up with the technology to where you can have an experience that you may not necessarily have in 90 minutes of you know watching a film. So you know it's kind of it really has been kind of the perfect storm of all these things coming together. And um, you know I'm lucky. I have a great team. You know that starts with you know my agents who protect me on that side, my lawyers who. You know, look out for me in ways that I may not know how to look out for myself. You know, having a a hybrid in house lawyer who's also where the creative at, who has a specialty specifically you know, when it comes to gaming IP. And then my team, you know, they've worn all hats. You know, uh, Stefan on my team was a Pixar for 12 years. From Pixar, he went to Telltale, who was at the forefront of narrative uh, storytelling and gaming, you know, where you would essentially play through an episode of television. You know, Dan and my team, who has been everything from a game journalist to a game writer, producer. Um, So, you know, as a team, as a collective team, we come from an authentic place where, it's not just, hey, game guy in Sweden, we want to take your toy and go play with it without you. It's, no, we know that you may have mortgaged your house to be able to finance that game. We know that it's a personal, you know, investment to you and a, and a, and a personal passion of yours. And we want you to know that we understand that we're going to treat it the same way as if it were our own. So, you know, we, um, we have a, an incredible team who really is prepared for the moment that we're enjoying right now. And, you know, some of the things we texted about offline that uh, unfortunately is not quite ready for public consumption <laughs> is now I'm at a place where I'm looking at things that I grew up with loving as a kid. And sure. like, I I, I, can, I can go after some of those things now in a legitimate way. And, you know, I think that's the next step for me personally is, um, you know, where we were... Look, Sonic's obviously the exception because Sonic is a massive billion-dollar IP. But, you know, outside of Sonic, it really was a lot of um, trusting your own instincts, trusting your own taste, believing that something would maybe turn into that next Sonic. And, you know, because of that, we were able to get in front of a lot of games that would go on to become massive games, you know, one, two, three years before they would even release. Um, So now, you know, I think the next step in our evolution as a company is, looking at those established brands that for whatever reason haven't been adapted, you know, uh, in either a live action form or an animated form and being able to throw our hat into that, that conversation and, and, you know, working with those partners.
0: I think it's so fascinating. You know, I heard uh, David Meltzer, who's my business mentor. Um, he has the playbook, his podcast, and um, he's written award-winning books, but he just had the director of The Last Dance on his podcast. And it, it was so fascinating to hear. It wasn't a 10-year project. It was a four-year project. <laughs> um, but, you know, the 10-part documentary series that really was the 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 winner. It, it was the winner of COVID nineteen when we look back for sports storytelling. I mean, shit, any kind of storytelling it was much watch, must watch TV. But when I say TV, it's it's also getting streamed on Netflix all over the world. You know, it's also being told. Um, you know, through social media, it's also being t- it, the storytelling. The way that we're we're consuming content these days. It can't be discriminated, like you said. You used to think, "Oh, it was just film," or "Oh, it's like that's for TV." It's it's storytelling and how it's being told, especially for somebody like you. I mean, why did you start your company? Why did what what compelled you to realize that? Hey, this is something. This is my niche, and this is what we need to go after. So,
1: I will answer that question in a sec, but I want to quickly circle back because you brought up a great point. Um, And that's, um, I remember when we started out, you know, as a company, I think we promoted ourselves as a film TV digital company. And then somehow in the first couple of years, we kept being referred to as a digital company because games. And um, I'll never forget, we, um, I want to say that we were part of the first digital deal ever at Warner Brothers, um, if we weren't number one, we were number two or three. Like we were actually creating language for something that didn't exist. And I remember that must have been 2012-ish. Let's say I remember by 2013, 2014, getting really angry. Like, well, what is this digital shit? Like it's TV. <laughs> like it's it's TV. Like yeah. like we we secure rights the same way, we develop the same way, we break shows out the same way. It's TV, and then you know, fast forward mid mid. Uh, Mid tens, I guess we'll call them. You start having things like Netflix, which even Netflix, when it first started, it's like that's not TV, yeah. you know. And now it's just normal. These are, you know, when you go your Apple TV, you know, you would consume, you know, something on Netflix or Amazon the way you would HBO or you know, even your local channels that you can now stream. So, you know, I I I don't want to just jump over what is a very important um, point, which is really what's what's tv you know you have quibi now that you know as a company we spent a lot of time in korea and china and all over asia where consuming content on your phone was a very normal thing is a very normal thing you go to india right now you'll see families sitting in a living room together consuming content on their own mobile devices um so that isn't unique globally but here in the states it's like a big deal this idea of quick bits of entertainment on your phone, you know, and again, like, I, I don't know if you heard Quibi recently announced that they're going to give you access to now stream it to your TV screen. Yeah. And again, it gets back to the point that it's all TV. It's all oh, storytelling. Yeah. Um, so to answer your question, um, why did I start my company? I like to say this company was started out of frustration. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a, lo- a lot of the greatest companies
0: are a lot of the my- greatest companies are.
1: My, my, myself and my, my founding partner, we were both at the same company together before we started DJ2. And, you know, around uh, 2009, I want to say, this crazy thing had started called mobile gaming, where people were playing games on their phone. And this other crazy thing called free to play gaming, where you give away the game for free in hopes that you hook your audience, they keep playing and you start. Selling marketing dollars and you know putting advertisements in there and maybe you sell a premium version that they then upgrade to. So we started looking at, huh? This might be the future: uh, video games, people consuming games on their phones. You know, people playing. You know, a game like a. Uh, oh God, I am completely blanking on the biggest game in the world right now, made by Epic. Shameful. Uh, shit blank blanking out biggest game in the world and it's free and you know they're doing now concerts inside the game you know you're having huge a-list artists performing you know chris nolan released his trailer for his latest film in this game so you know i think you know looking back now we were correct in our instincts that free-to-play gaming uh mobile would be a big deal and um you know instead of continuing to be frustrated continuing to feel like we weren't being heard um you know we have a mentor that we like to call the godfather of dj2 entertainment who you know to put it bluntly got tired of hearing me bitch um (laughs) you know maybe maybe the greatest gift he ever gave me now mind you he's a ex-army ranger so he's very much i'm not gonna hand you the absolute keys to the kingdom and i'm gonna help you get there and he flew down from uh from washington booked a suite at the roosevelt hotel you know we we locked down an entire saturday and across this table laid out paperwork and he said congratulations this is the foundation for your new company you know we're going to get you legal we're going to make sure that you know all of your shit's in place get your website up going you know get you some cards and then basically said and go so you know, stop, 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 stop short of giving us any kind of, like, startup capital. But, you know,
0: he said, here's a parachute. You're going to have to figure out how to deploy it. You're going to have to figure out how to build this airplane. But we're push- I'm pushing you off the cliff. Stop bitching.
1: He, he did that. And also, to his credit, uh, I would say about three months in of Sleepless Nights, Holy shit! How are we actually going to make money doing this? Uh, he also helped us book our first gig as a company. Uh, it was for five thousand dollars—the greatest five thousand dollars of my life—and it was to consult on uh, a reboot of the game Frogger. Oh, so, really? Nice. So we—and uh, when I say we, it was really Dan, you know, who's yeah. the actual game writer producer—and uh, basically that five thousand dollars gave us another month or two to keep going. And ultimately, that extra month or two got us our first six figure deal that was like, oh shit, we can actually breathe a little. We might actually survive and we might actually be able to turn this into a business. And, um, you know, uh, there's a whole other side of our business that could take another hour of conversation, but I'll just say this led us into a side of our business that now is commonly referred to as transmedia. And really, you know, for us, transmedia is just franchise building. Is working with a partner who, you know, they may have a nugget of an idea. They may have an existing brand that maybe is a comic book series, maybe it's an existing game. And we would go in and help build a brand blueprint that could be anywhere from 100 pages to 1,000 pages. Uh, We had a project with a a Chinese gaming publisher where we created a 2,000 year timeline in this fictional world that we created. So, 2,000 year timeline? 2,000 years.
0: That's rad.
1: And, and really what that part of the business did, aside from allowing us to travel the world on, you know, uh, other people's dime. And it's like, wait, I get to see the world and we're getting paid for this. Like, this is incredible. Um, that allowed the film TV side to catch up, which as you've probably picked up at this point, can take some time. And, um, you know, really once that side started rolling, we were able to balance things out more. And, um, you know, it's kind of led to this project we're working on now that I wish I could talk about because it's one <laughs> of the most innovative projects that we've ever been part of. Um, it's with one of the biggest global media partners you can think of, and it's going to allow us to essentially use every single skill set that we've ever tapped into as a company, going back to those early transmedia days. And um, very excited, can't wait to be able to talk more about that one and. If done right, this could absolutely change storytelling and the way that we not only tell stories, but the way that uh, fans will be able to interact with the stories
0: they're consuming. I'd love for you to tell me a little bit about the Sonic story specifically because um, I know that there was pushback at certain points, uh, obviously 10 years, there's going to be a lot of failures along that point. But, you know, one of the ones that's well-documented is, you know, the, the actual release of when you guys decided to release it and then actually pull back and say, you know, from fan feedback, maybe what we think in our heart, we're not going to push this down your throat, I guess is, um, kind of tell me a little bit about that and how, how that worked and, and why that came to be.
1: Uh, I will start by saying those types of decisions are way above my pay grade
0: uh, <laughs> but but looking I, but 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 somebody that's in the inner circle i i would love- i'd love to to hear how it went down
1: here's what i will say i i I as much as the fans were extremely grateful that the studio gave us the opportunity to make those adjustments um, I will say it all starts with development and You know, I think we were all very proud of where the scripts, you know, ended up. We knew that we had a special story that would resonate with, you know, our target audience, but, but also, you know, the opportunity to bring in an audience that may not have grown up with with Sonic, you know, you know, my mom, I will never forget when she went to the premiere. She obviously knew of Sonic because I used to play the shit out of it, but um, you know, she wasn't like deeply rooted in who tells was and all the, you know, uh, uh, you know, Sonic lore that um, you know we got to have some fun with, and you know that end scenes credit where the audience just absolutely lost their shit, like. You know, that was amazing to see someone like my mom enjoy that moment who didn't necessarily have, you know, that organic connection with the IP like we did. Um, So all of that to say, you know, at the script level, um, it was important to us to be as authentic as we could be. You know, at the end of the day, you still want this to be something that kids can enjoy, you know, with their family. Um, But we also wanted to make sure that we were honoring people like us who, you know, might be a little longer in the tooth, but grew up loving it. And, you know, to have some fun Easter eggs in there that you would pick up on. Um, And to also, and this is something that Pixar does extremely well, you know, have opportunities to lay some jokes in there and things that, you know, may go a little above the kid's ed that parents can enjoy. And obviously Jim Carrey, you know, worked some of that stuff in there. uh, He
0: was phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal.
1: So uh, but yeah, the, um, once, once we had a clear reaction of how the audience and the fan base felt about the original design, um, the studio was very good to you know give the team uh, the time to go and make some of those adjustments. And you know, I think looking at the, the reaction we got, it was, it was worth it and um and honestly that goes back to what i what i stated earlier you know our goal is always to try to be as protective as our partners to be as authentic as we can be and to never take our audience for granted you know like we don't assume because we're working with a massive ip that it, it's going to equal people showing up to the theater or you know tuning in to the tv show so you know we always want to tell the best story we can tell we always want to honor the existing audience as much as we can. And we also want to make it, you know, accessible to someone who may not come in with that built-in knowledge that a hardcore fan will.
0: Yeah. One of the things I did want to ask you about Ari Siegel, he's the uh, CEO of Immortals, um, in L.A. Valiant. Um, he's a close friend of the restaurant. He's probably one of the smartest people I've ever met. He's been on the podcast. He, he was the president of the Gulls, but now he's, he's running eSports. And um, for somebody as smart as he is, whenever I talk to him, I'm just so fascinated with the growth of eSports. And I, I'd love to hear from your perspective, where do you see your company's role in what's happening with eSports? And do you see something, you know, an opportunity within the kind of hard knocks Type of documentary style of of esports or something even bigger.
1: Uh, so I'll tell you where you know our company is kind of starting to touch on to the space because I I personally understand how this is easily going to be the biggest thing in the world in the next few years. Like they're already selling out massive stadiums, multiple nights. Um, for me, as a as a creative producer, I don't quite connect it connect with it in a way where I feel like I could come to it in an authentic way. Um, however, where it's evolving and I could see us becoming involved or something we're having now where kind of like Fortnite, kind of like with Fortnite, where, um, you know, you have the crossover of a Chris Nolan premiering a trailer and you're having these massive musicians putting on concerts where you as your avatar are part of this concert. Um, you know, we're being asked about helping produce content, you know, weekly content in that space, you know, with both uh, a combination of uh, influencers who are, you know, people like Ninja or some of the biggest names in the world, you know, and they're coming from that esports, you know, gaming space and marrying them with, you know, some of the traditional celebrities who we might work with on the film TV side. And I think ultimately in the next few years, you're gonna see it all just kind of start to blend together. Uh, So that's that is an opportunity for my company, who, again, may not be uh, completely hands on at any point with, you know, producing traditional esports content, but working with the players in that space and producing um, you know something that would fall more in line with the types of film television stuff we would create but in that forum um, and we're having some of those conversations now and you know because of the lack of sports you're you're seeing uh, some of the uh, big sports networks who are looking at this area for content who may not have a few years back um, you know I think ESPN has been kind of at the forefront of putting on some of these big events on their on their stations but you know you're seeing the Fox Sports and some of the others you know really looking at this area as a as a as a growth spot for them
0: at what point in the sonic journey did you realize I did it we did it uh
1: probably probably the premiere yeah probably the premiere you know being there premieres are tricky you know, I've been at premieres where everyone loves everything starting with the first company logo and <laughs> you walk out thinking like I just saw the greatest movie ever and then you see it at a normal theater and it's like okay, maybe it wasn't as great. But I would say the premiere then seeing it with real humans a few days later and seeing things pop at the same places in the same way it was like this might this might actually work. Um, to say that we could have predicted that we would be the biggest video game adaptation of all time, I, I couldn't even lie to you and tell you that 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 was the goal starting out. Like, you know, with something as beloved as Sonic, I think you start with just don't screw it up.
0: Don't screw it up, yeah.
1: Just don't screw it up. You know, I always try to wear the hat of the fan. You know, if I were coming to this. How would I feel? Would I be super excited? Um, you know, and that's and that's really honestly how I gauge most of the projects I get behind to this day is, can little kid me still get fired up like I would have, you know, 20, 30 years ago? Um, and the answer has to be yes at this point. Like, you you have to have that passion to potentially put in a decade of your life. and uh, And throughout every process, I mean even like just being on set like none of it none of it felt real like like for me for me like i'm still the little kid who snuck on set and like none of this and and this is why at some point i'm going to write that book too dumb to fail because there's no reason why any of this should be happening right now and other than me just being too dumb to realize that, that yeah that's it that's it
0: Well, I I mean, I, I can't thank you enough for your time. And I know, you know, it's so hard to watch something that someone that you've known creates and to watch it with an unbiased eye. But what I can tell you is watching Sonic, ordering it through DirecTV at my house with my son, who's not even three yet, and watching him watch it for the first time, which was also the first time that I watched it, but also my wife, who's from Bulgaria, and watching them truly enjoy, truly laugh, truly connect with the character I mean, it's been so long since I've personally seen a movie that I was that excited about and it takes you on so many emotional uh, roller coasters. I mean it, it does everything it's supposed to do to the point where my son convinced me to make – I've never – I haven't bought a movie since the last <laughs> – since there was blockbusters or warehouses and literally I paid the $21.99 to buy it because he keeps asking me. He wants to watch Sonic, dad. I want to watch Sonic. He wants to party <laughs> like Sonic and it's like – That's, I mean, that's all you can ever ask for as a creative, right? And all all those blood, sweat, tears and all that work that you put into, I mean, the story behind the story, the context, but that's what we're, that's what you're looking for in the universal language, right? You're, you're looking for creating compelling content. It doesn't matter the medium, but once you can do that and you can connect with humanity in a way that, 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 that makes people moved. You know, that makes people moved, And, you know, I'm so proud of the work that you're doing. I appreciate the time that you took, um, you know, to connect with us. Um, I know people can follow you on social. Uh, We'll put links in the show notes. My team, uh, Stover, he's in Portland, Oregon. And I've got Ian, who's out of uh, Austin. They doing a great work to put this together into show notes and we'll put it up on YouTube for people to follow. Um, also to follow your company, DJ2 Entertainment. When you do have that big news that you can share, I'm gonna get you back on the podcast. But um any, any parting words of wisdom um uh, for, for our for our fans.
1: Yes. If you're looking to get into the industry with no connections like myself. <laughs> go go work for free and treat it like it's the uh, greatest job you've ever had and you will be noticed you will be seen and uh you can get your foot in the door it's not it's not impossible to break in uh if you're if your uncle or your father is not a big time director in this business and uh yeah. you know honestly honestly brother like i i'm not a big public speaker like you know, typically when I do it, you know, when, when we travel globally to do it, it's kind of a behind closed doors thing. But, um, you know, I've been so proud of what you've been building and, you know, what you've been doing for the community down there that, you know, I had to I had to kind of like just put that aside and, you know, be there for this. And it's, it's really, you know, my honor and my pleasure to be on talking with you. And, you know, especially the community work you're doing, by the way, just keep it up. Like, you know, I, I, I feel... You know, especially, you know, being on lockdown, you know, even further away. But, you know, being up here in L.A. and being able to kind of see all the good work that, that you and your team are doing. It's just, you know, it's been incredible, super proud. And uh, again, just seeing how you're connecting with people in a way that, again, in our little Bishop's bubble, you wouldn't naturally assume you you might be connecting with. It's been
0: amazing to see. I really appreciate it, man. Um, We wish you nothing but the best. I can't wait to see these projects that you have rolling out, and um, we will be in touch, brother. Thank you.